welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Sarah, for joining me on the podcast. Welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you. You're welcome. This is my very first one. Your very first podcast? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So this is interesting. Well, I thought maybe we would start by maybe just kind of giving a little overview of Mm -hmm. the major things that have happened in your life that have made an impact on you and Mm -hmm. shaped you the way you are. Um, And then then we can just kind of dive in wherever and talk about whatever and stuff like that. So we can just start with that. Well, shoot. After being on the earth for almost a half a century, it's kind of like, it's trying to pick which story that would be impactful. I think that I, get, I think where I'll go is probably where you and I, our paths crossed in, you know, with my late husband, <clears throat> um, Joey, uh, he was a pastor and, um, we were married for only 11 years <clears throat> and we had six kids uh, and I think it was when we had our s- four or five at the time when we had got to meet you and Susan and um, <clears throat> interacted. Uh, but anyway, I think the most impactful time, I guess, will just from my life of being married, I guess, is um, would be going through the cancer battle with my husband, Joey. And... Um, I mean, our whole world was just completely rocked. Uh, We had five children. We were expecting our sixth baby, and he was diagnosed with stage four colon rectal cancer uh, with no symptoms. I mean, he was having symptoms by stage four, but like we hadn't had any um, symptoms really to make you think something's really wrong. He was 33 I'm a father of five kids, you know, working bivocationally. So he was a pastor and he was working a regular job because typically in most ministry situations, even in the United States, you don't have a full paying ministry job. That's just, that's like a lot of the bigger churches around, you'll find pastors are fully sustained, but Mm -hmm. on the more regular or more and probably now, even so, after COVID, um, pastors are having to juggle both. And so uh, we were very, very busy, and um, so we had no idea. So I guess it was officially diagnosed on January 10th and we of um, 2002. And our doctor... Basically, I mean, doctors never like to give prognosis and like you, the first question that comes to your mind when you're facing something like this and you know it's terminal is like, how much time do I have? You know, that's the, I think that's the common question everybody uh, immediately jumps out in your mind. And he didn't want to, he was a Christian and he was like, you know, God knows the number of your days, you know, and I, I don't want to put a number, but he said with these, with this type of cancer, Apparently, the type that Joey had was more common in elderly men than in a younger guy. And if Joey had the one that's common in the younger guys, he'd be dead in like three months. 
Um, the one that uh, he had um, gave us 10 months, you know, and so it was a, a praise, but uh, that was a really hard time um, for me. We did a lot of praying. We had all sorts of people praying for us all over the state of Missouri, all over the country. Um, and we were doing a lot of praying and a lot of figuring out things and trying to process. We had young children uh, as young as uh, almost 10. And then we had the baby on the way. So we had a baby getting ready to be born. And um, so all of a sudden, all the worries of a young couple of like, how do we pay this bill, you know, or a young people in ministry, you know, how are we going to deal with this ministry situation? We got to take care of these people and uh, just all the things that you typically struggle with on a normal level, all of a sudden just got totally shoved to the side. And now I was actually begging God for all the things I had complained about having to fuss with all the financial problems or any marital problems that we were struggling through. It was just like, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. Just, just give me back that. And if you can take this away, which was not how God had it. (laughs) God doesn't work that way. God does not. um, It's not like a, I'm going to punish you with this because you complained about that. And you can, negotiate with me on things you know it's it's not like that but it's funny when you're put in those positions um no matter how much of a follower of Christ you are you know like how long you've been walking with him it's funny how you revert to these very childlike moments of you know not necessarily throwing a fit but just begging God to change the situation like just, just snap your fingers, God, and change the situation. Uh, and I prayed countless times, uh, you know, God, my kids needed their dad. They can't be without their dad. You know, the boys were at the time nine, seven, and five of our five children. We had a boy coming, and uh, he was born that March. And, um, and it was like, these kids need their dad. God, what are you thinking? You know, you can't do, I, you, I can't do this by myself, you know. And um, so it, it, it was such a, a unique time, um, just really walking along. And um, now, nine, almost 19 years later, I can look back at that season of my life. And there was so much growth that was happening in a profound kind of way. I watched as my husband grew in the last months of his life spiritually to the point that it could not be contained in his body. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been around someone that was in like the last phases of their life. It just seems like their soul is outgrowing their physical body. Like it just, the body is just like wanting to lay down and sleep, but the soul is like wide awake, you know, it's, it's so neat to watch that and um, and to see how God was even growing my husband in the last days of his life, you know. And then for me, it was a journey of learning how to trust God absolutely, even in the worst situation um, in the last days of my husband, uh, last hours, actually, um, 
I was forced with a decision to either bring my husband home from the hospital on hospice or have him stay in the hospital. And it was a very freak event where all of a sudden God flipped the switch, like it's time for him to go home. Like we, he would have pain issues and, and anybody that's battled with cancer kind of stuff, you have a lot of different things going on in your body. So sometimes you have to go to the hospital and kind of get things regulated and then you get to come home and, you know, it was just, that became kind of our normalcy. So I thought this was a normal event, you know. We're just going to the hospital, just doing our regular old trip. And then I got a call from the doctor, and he was like, I need you to come here. I'm, I'm walking six children at this point because we'd had the baby. So I'm, I'm pushing a baby and a toddler in a stroller with four little ones walking in tow to my husband's hospital room. And I walk in, and my husband's, like, not even really coherent. Like, he, I mean, he's talking out of his head. Like, it's just really odd because I was sitting there going, man, I was just talking to you like six hours ago and you're fine. And I was like, they must have him on the wrong mess. And like, I mean, I'm sitting there going, this is weird. Like, what's going on? And so I went to go talk to the doctor. The children are staying in the room with a friend. And and he was like, Sarah, it's time. You know, and I'm like, it's what? What do you mean? You know, I, I, I was like, what do you mean? What? It's time. He was like, he, it, it's a matter of days now. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. I've got, I can't. No, and he was like, which do you want him to do? Do you want him to stay here in the hospital? Um, we can sustain him longer here, or you take him home, and he will die sooner, but, you know, he's going to die. I mean, it was just basically, it's over. And I was like, I can't, I can't make that decision. I mean, if, there were so many times in our life where my husband made decisions about things or I made decisions about things, and it'd be like, eh, okay, whatever. You know, or there'd be things that both of us would have to make a decision on. And this was one of those things. I was like, seriously, I am not, I cannot tell you to take my husband and take him home where he's going to die sooner or keep him in here. I mean, what if my husband doesn't want to do any, you know, what, what does he want to do? And he's, you know, kind of talking out of his head in the room. And I just felt like that was a profoundly heavy decision to make. So I can really relate to people that are in situations where they're having to take someone off life support or do things like that. That is such a heavy load to bear because it's literally someone's life is in your hands in that moment. So I went in to Joey's room. The kids are all sitting there. And I'm like in this zone. All I can remember about that memory is I see my husband and me. And it's like this this tunnel. And I said, Joey, I need you to listen to me. I said, it looks like you're going to go see Jesus soon. And I said, you can stay here in the hospital. And it'll be a little while. Or you can come home. And you'll be seeing Jesus sooner. I said, what do you want to do? And he said, home. And I was like, okay. And I, I don't know which child it was, but there was one of my children said, mommy, is daddy going to die? And up to this point, Joey and I had always told the kids there's going to be, um, God will either heal daddy here and he, he'll be healed and he'll be with us and stay with us. Or he's going to heal him for good and he's going to take him home. And so we never would answer 
specifically. You know, we just wouldn't, and you couldn't. And we were trying to stay hopeful, and, you know, and that, that's a really, that's another fine line. Um, so at this point, whichever child, which I don't even know to this day, you know, who it was, but they said, um, you know, is daddy going to die? And this was the very first time I had to speak that into reality and say, yes, he's going to die. And to this, I mean, even now, almost 19 years later, that just jerks my gut because it was like one of the most final things I've ever faced in my life. You know, what seems to be final, you know, final for this earth. And so, um, but, you know, I had to learn at that time about what true and full dependence on God was like. And, um, and that God was big enough to handle my grief. He was big enough to handle my, uh, my sorrows and um, carry me. He, he was big enough to deal with my anger because I was really ticked off at God for a while because I felt like he didn't answer my kids' prayers, you know, and I felt like of all the people and all of the country and all the world and all of in our family to pray, these little ones were praying that God would heal their dad. And he did not answer their prayer that way. You know, he didn't heal them in the way that, you know, to keep him here. And so, uh, so that was tough. Um, I, and, and even when he came home that it was, it wasn't days. Uh, he had hours like God, God was moving it quick. And, um, which that was actually God being very merciful to me. Um, cause and that's funny. Cause at that time I used to think that God, every prayer I prayed, God would do the opposite. But now looking back, I think that was the prayer God was like, I'm going to give you this one, you know, because I knew we were looking at days and I was like, God, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I could go days. You know, what if he dies while I'm sleeping? You know, what if, you know, and I think that's where God was like, okay, sis, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this one. You know, I'm going to, you know, help you on this one. And, um, but, you know, I think that point was that point in my life was such a transition for me uh, in who I was to become because I, I, I put a lot of my identity into my marriage and being the mom and whatever, you know, the whole nine yards. And uh, I think that began a journey for me of finding out who I am in Christ alone, just Sarah, plain old me. And um, Joey actually did so much work. He probably doesn't realize. Yeah, he does. I'm sure he does. <laughs> he had to go through so much of the Sarah point oh, you know, or 1.0. And I mean, talk about iron sharpening iron. You know, him and I, we were both type A personalities. We we're both firstborns. We were, you know, very strong willed and very strong opinioned. And it, he really uh, helped God used him as a great um, source of development for me. Um, and I remember even while he was sick, uh, he really ticked me off one time because I was, I was dealing with the grief of, I got a husband's terminally ill and a brand new baby and geez, and five other kids, you know, and this is, this is my life, you know. And there was just one day I was just having a pity party about it. I'd gone to a Women of Faith conference and saw all these women up on the stage singing and leading worship. And that was, at the time, something I loved and wanted to do uh, and did a little bit of. 
now having done it for 25 years, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But back then I was looking at that going, and here I am with a sick husband and a baby and six kids and I don't get to, and all this is going on and I could be doing that. And I mean, just really, honestly, just a, a release of just all the frustrations of really being in such a tough life situation. But my husband in his truest form, although quite in pain and, you know, in the last bits of his life, he's standing there listening to me rant. And, um, and he said, Sarah, he said, do you think that maybe it's not all about you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I think it was all about me. I was like, I want to punch you in the face. I was like, why are you? It was just like, of course it's about me. <laughs> It's like I'm in my moment, but he was right. Uh, and and now every time I hear anybody ever say, you know, it's not all about you. I think Dr. Phil says that a lot. I just kind of cringe, but it's like it's just so good. I mean, even then he was speaking truth to me. Like and because a lot of times, you know, uh, having being a person, I deal with depression a lot and different kinds of things. You if you become inward. You start looking inward, the waves start going, and you start sinking, and it's like you can't get out. But if you're looking out and you're looking at other people, taking into account the world around you, others others and their situations, um, it's really not so easy to sink, you know. And so he was really speaking wisdom in there. I'm sure he was highly agitated because he was so in pain, and he's dying, you know. You know, he's not going to be around with his kids. So, I mean, I, th I think he was sitting there going, do I get to have a list of things that I could, you know. Um, but anyway, but now looking at how that grew me into now in the last 19 years, what all I faced and looked at. Um, I had uh, six children, 10 and under, that... I was now responsible for completely alone and God was gracious. And a year later brought a kinsman redeemer to my family who had never been married, never had any children and felt called by God to marry all of us. And, uh, and he wasn't planning to replace my husband. He was just looking at it as he was taking up the baton and finishing out the race, you know, like, and, and to do it in honor and respect in Joey's memory, you know, and, um, and in doing so has such a level of honor and respect in my children, my children really truly love him and love him for that, you know, and look up to him and, and he has been like healing balm on our family. And, and so I, and so journeying into that part of my life and kind of becoming the Sarah 2.0 because of God and all that he was doing really helped me to kind of see how um, there were so many things that were to come that had to come through my husband's death that, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make Joey stay one more extra day on earth. Um, I, as hard and horrendous and gut-wrenching as that grief was, um, the growth that I had 
and seeing God reveal himself in so many ways to me personally, and then watching as he took care of us uh, prior to John coming into our life, how he took care of us all the way through to now, and now having four extra kids, you know, added to the clan, and then now even into grandparenthood. So it's like, you know, gosh, I mean, but I think that was a very pivotal point in my life. I think that is where I I guess you could say I was faced with a kind of like at a fork in a road, either I'm going to pursue God with all passion as much as I can, or I'm going to just let grief and let sorrow and all this stuff just make me float away into another place. And there were times I kind of wanted to float off into the other place, but, but, God was just so good, and it was like I just knew I wanted to get to where he was. So that and that has truly been impactful. So I don't know what else to say. <laughs> let's let's get you out of the sun. Let's turn the table oh, this that way. Sounds good. All right. Well, yeah. So a lot of thoughts um, <laughs> as you were talking. Um, well, you're talking about um, growth at the end, um, mm-hmm. like for Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I get, I wonder if that's um, like a common thing for mm-hmm. people at the end, end of their life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, I don't know, what, what's that like? Um, you described it well, saying, you know, like their body's wasting away, but their spirit's almost... soul is just almost, going berserko. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We long for heaven. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Paul has even stated it over and over again, you know, I, you know, I would love to be in the presence of God, mm-hmm. but I'm here with you, my brethren. And, um, but truly, we all long for just to be in his presence 100 and gazillion percent you know we're just that's our heart and it makes me think of some of the passages that were joey's favorites were from paul and just like to live as christ and to die is gain and and i think that as you as you begin that journey and i guess we're all already on that journey obviously Um, and we're progressing towards the rest of the, the story. And, and I think with Joey, it, and I guess this is with a lot of folks that are more in a illness that is a journey, you know, like it's a longer span of a fight for, you know, with cancer and things like that. Obviously you can't really be able to, to analyze or observe anyone that is more in a sudden situation, but, but being in a terminal illness, which is funny because I've often asked God if, if I'm to go and not a meet and, you know, I'd prefer it to be in a more gradual process so that I can have time to kind of work through whatever the last bits that need to be done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's kind of it's kind of funny because you learn from the people that you've walked through death with. <laughs> so it's like 
Joey didn't record anything. He didn't write any letters to the kids. You know, every time I've taken a journey out of state, anytime I've gone on out of the country, I've written letters to all my kids, you know, just in case, you know, or things like that. I think I think I probably have a book of letters by now. But um, so I think in my mind, I have more of a presence of mind about, you know, I could go at any time. I think that's also being almost half century old, you know, as opposed to my husband who was 33 Mm -hmm. and had all these young kids. You know, when you're that age, you just don't think about um, you just don't think about dying. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, my children now have a a presence of mind, you know, because this is an illness that could potentially be genetic. So they all have that in their head that their days could be shorter than what they would think. Um, I also tell them they have their very healthy mother genes very much in them as well. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean they won't be living out past everybody. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is so unbelievable as you watch the, the power that comes, the, the brightness that comes out of them. Like Joey's last sermons, um, his, his, geez, I mean, it's just, you, words just can't describe what you see. Like they're, they're, there's such a brilliance that comes off of them that is just profound. And, and you really don't get it until later, like later after you've kind of gone through it, you go, Oh, that's what that was. You know, you, you realize, wait a minute, like he was just it's just profound. It, it's just, a, it's a heavenly thing that is, it's a glimpse into what that is, you know, and um, just even in the last minutes of his life, he, um, not minutes, but probably in the last half hour to hour, he was trying to communicate with me because his oxygen levels were so low that he couldn't talk anymore. He couldn't even open his eyes. Um, but he was trying to do sign language because him and I had talked very often about his passing, different things like that. And um, I just told him, I, I want to see you go into glory. I want to see this because everything I've based most of my life believing in, I want to see it's true, you know. And now... Here I am, a person that's never experienced someone dying in front of me. I've never been in a situation like that in all my life. I've been to funerals, so I've seen bodies in caskets, but I've never watched someone take their last breath. So um, when you're in that, you can talk about it all you want, but then when you're in that moment, you all of a sudden are like, "Um, I don't think I want to watch someone just die. (laughs) You're just like, "Uh uh-uh. And... um, he was trying to talk to me and he would, he, he had his finger, one finger was pointing and he was trying to do like a, uh, he had, no, he had his other hand was like a, um, making like an O and he would put his finger through the O and I kept thinking he wanted donuts and he got so frustrated with me and I, all I could think of was he wants donuts cause I'm thinking he's just not thinking straight and he was pointing to a clock that was up on our entertainment center because his bed was down in our family room, um, hospital bed. And he was pointing to this clock. 
and it was in a box. Like it wasn't even working. And it was like set at six o'clock or something. And he loved Jag, the movie or the show Jag. And I was like, oh, honey, Jag, uh, it's not six o'clock. You can't watch. And he would just get so frustrated with me because I was so not getting it. And, um, and I, I even got my, uh, our hospice nurse who was also a believer, you know, I was just like, Hey, Patty, can you just, Joey, do it again, please do it again. So he's trying to do the signs. And I said, see, I, I'm thinking donuts. <laughs> and he just went like, that. <laughs> it's like, how much energy did that just, you know, take from him? But I was like, I just don't, I don't understand what he's saying, you know? And it wasn't until the next day that I got out of bed and I went, oh my gosh, he was telling me it was time. Like he was getting ready to go. He was going through, you know, and he was telling me it was time. And it was funny because after he had done all that sign language stuff, then he pretty much lost all communication at that point. And um, people were singing and praying and everything. And it was at that point where it's the death breathing. And I was like, I can't. I can't watch this, you know, and I handed my mom the baby who was only eight months old. And uh, I said, and mom was like, but honey, you said you wanted to see him go into glory. And I was like, I changed my mind, you know, and I walked into the kitchen and was talking to the funeral director and guy that was there waiting and uh, and just thought I would just let him pass. And then I'd go in there, you know, and um but then my friend, a friend of ours, her name was Sarah, older friend, and she came and she goes, honey, I think he's gone, you know. And I went walking in there, and sure enough, Joey took his last breath right then. And I thought, that son of a gun. Like, he has to have the last word, even when he's dying. I can't believe it. I can't even have my way right here. And it was like, no. He, he was, it was so cool because him and God were like, no, she needs to see this. This is She's going to see, you know, and so I did. And then it was like, but, you know, you're not making sense of everything. And then but it was really cool because the next day immediately I knew what all that meant. And so it was just so awesome to know that that Joey had. And God, well, God predominantly because God is the giver of breath, but that that, that he that he made it to where I could see that, you know, and it's funny because there again is another answer to prayer, even though I kind of changed my mind in the whole scene. <laughs> don't we do that like it's like we ask for God to do something in our lives or we ask for God to help us in this situation or to move and he starts moving and then we're like um change our mind change our mind can we not I'm changing I don't want to do that nope 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 you know and and we start trying to pump the brakes and God's like no we're gonna we're gonna move forward you know and it's uh but that was that was uh pretty cool um, and humorous and, and very typical of my husband at that time, you know, like I said, we're both firstborns. And so I was like, we each had to have the last word. So, <laughs> so the idea I can relate to spiritual growth, mm-hmm. um, when things don't go my way and I have to kind of give up on something mm-hmm. like give up on this dream or this desire. Mm-hmm. And it then, and it focuses me on. God and then everything that's involved in uh-huh. knowing him and and what uh, you know the kingdom of God and pursuing that because mm-hmm. other things drop off. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to identify spiritual growth 
with pain because mm-hmm. when I'm in pain, that's all my focus. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. I'm not thinking too much about God at that mm-hmm. point, except that um, where is He? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's um, makes mm-hmm. it a little bit hard to identify with spiritual growth at the end of life because I imagine there's a lot of pain involved. Mm-hmm. So. You know, doesn't that just encompass your mm-hmm. all your focus, mm-hmm. or I don't know. Um, as as a child of God, I don't think you really, I don't, I don't think you experience things, and I'm sure you probably can understand. I don't think you experience everything all at once in that particular moment. I think that you. There's the subconscious level of how you're dealing with something. Then, you know, there's the physical, how you're reacting to something, the emotional. Everything's like all all happening. Okay. And a lot of times I like to call it toss salad. Like somebody just shot the salad up in the air and then it all falls down the bowl. Okay. And I think that, um, you know, in these very intense moments that we walk through and it can be physical pain, it could be... Um, emotional pain, you know, whatever. And I think that you kind of hit into some kind of an autopilot in some of these situations where the the soul is carried by the Holy Spirit in a a sense. Like the Holy Spirit is like in full force and you don't even really understand all that's happening in that moment. But then as that calms down and you come out from that moment, then it's like you're able to kind of sift through the things and understand. And there were many times through that 10 months that Joey and I felt the Holy Spirit carrying us. Like, it was weird. Like, we'd be like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Like, really actually doing really good. And I don't know why. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm dying. What's going on? You know, it's like, you know, I'm getting ready to lose my husband. What's going on? You know, it's like you, uh, you're able to, it's just the Holy Spirit is able to take you and, and move you through these positions and some of them very uncomfortable, very painful, often sometimes very frightening. And yet you're kind of covered and held not with a full understanding of things. But then as you come out of that and as you're sifting through the rubble of whatever you've come through, you start to find those gems in there of the things that got the truth of God, you know, where he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Oh, he was right there in this situation or he was right there, you know, or, um, you know, that he protects the righteous, you know, and, and all these things, like it just, you, you begin to see things a little more clearer. I don't know that in the moment it's always like that, but I think it's as you come through it. And I think it's, it's so great that we have the Holy spirit because I just don't know how I would function properly or how I would be able to live with my ever loving mind if it weren't for the Holy spirit within me, because the, my flesh is so nuts you know, I can't even handle it. You know, I don't, I can't stand myself sometimes. And so the Holy Spirit is able to maneuver and operate in some ways that just produce something that is, is truly a heavenly kind of thing. But yeah, I I think that when you're in those moments, you're in the, in the thick of it. um, That's where the Holy Spirit has to like, 
kick into overdrive. And, and there was plenty of times, plenty of times where in the midst of all that incense that the Holy Spirit has like totally engaged in. And I've been so thankful, you know. And it sounded like seeing uh, Joey at the very end, like you were saying, mm-hmm. when going into glory, that that would kind of um, confirm your faith, uh, something along those lines? Absolutely, yeah. And is it because you would see God sustaining him at that moment, mm-hmm. or is that what you were looking for? Or? Um, I think, I think you know what, I think it just, there again, I think it's the Holy Spirit, yet again, um, confirming within me the peace that was there, and and then even Joey communicating with me that he was getting ready to go through Go through what? He was going through something. So he was in the presence of God. There was something happening. And so my husband gave witness at the very end of his life of the true existence of the Holy God. That there is truly a place that he has prepared for us. That there is a place we are going through to. Like it, it is actual. It is evident. And, and I mean, he was my best friend, he was my partner and, you know, and he gave witness at the very end. He didn't have breath left in him, but he had some movement in his hands. You know what I mean? And, and he was under a little bit of morphine. I mean, so he had some things going on. His body was like pooping out and he had just enough by way of the power of the Holy Spirit to give witness to what was going on. And I think that... It wasn't so much in the very, very, very beginning of my new chapter of life when all that end of that chapter happened that I was able to fully grasp all of that. It was over the years to follow that I began to see the reality of heaven, the reality of God's position universally and in my own life and just that his existence was truth, you know, and he was my truth. It, but I think that it, it did, it confirmed my faith. It can, it affirmed my faith. It, 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 it emboldened my faith. It made me fired up mad at the enemy. You know, I mean, it, it, it was more like a coach on the sideline in a football game, you know, smacking me in the butt and saying, get out there, go get them. Like it's your turn, you know? And, and so he pulled Joey off the field, got him on the side, and sent me out in there. And I felt like in some ways I was carrying the mantle that Joey had on him now hit on me. And it was now it was time to get in the game and start really getting busy about God and, and, and knowing him more and really experiencing him. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was phenomenal. So it's kind of interesting you're you're saying he gave witness because you know in um i think in the new testament original language like witness and martyr is the same word Mm -hmm. um so you know you kind of relate giving witness to death you know Mm -hmm. like because you think of martyrs you know Mm -hmm. being faithful to the end and dying Mm -hmm. so and you're referring to his witness as when he was signaling to you with his Mm -hmm. hands and then was there other Besides that, was there witness in countenance or anything else? Um, No, just in his... uh, Oh, well, I can say this. This was really cool. Um, 
he was tossing and turning so bad at the hospital. Like it was, he was just so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and talking out of his head. We were in the ambulance going home. And I mean, the way he was acting, I thought he was going to die on me. Now, of course, I didn't know what all the process of dying looked like, but this was as close as I'd ever come. And, and, and it freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, he was so unsettled. We got the, the bed was already at the house set up. I mean, I'm talking we are within uh, about 10 hours of him passing. So, I mean, we're in like we're in the zone, you know, so uh, I, which I didn't know. But we get there, we get him on his bed, and I had a wedding ring quilt that my grandmother had made us, and I had put that on his bed, and all of a sudden, he was calm. Hmm. And it was like he was at peace. And now everything was good. Like, he would hold my hand, he would tell me that he loved me, he would tell the kids that he loved them, like he was Joey again. And his oxygen level was like at 30-something percent. I mean, it was even worse than it was at the hospital. So, but the presence of God was there and he knew he was right where he needed to be, you know? And, um, so yeah, if, if you're talking countenance, I would say that was definitely a key right there now looking back on it. But I think other than that, not really other than just the spirit of the household, the singing that was going on, the scripture reading that was going on, the just the welcoming in of God's presence, you know, um, to have Joey. Uh, Joey loved music, and we had him singing and stuff. I mean, so he was being sung into heaven, you know, and so it was just, it was a good, it was a, death is not a great thing. Death is awful. But, being a believer, being in the room, knowing what was getting ready to trans- transpire and all that, you know, I would say that was probably a better experience than I would have thought. I don't know. You know, I, but like I said, that was my very first time. Now, I didn't know that through going through that kind of loss and that experience that I would later on be with other women as they were saying goodbye to their husbands Hmm. and um, other believers that were going through stuff, you know, dealing with death. And uh, so, you know, but for me, that was, gosh, and it was so (laughs) child-friendly. I mean, we had children all around. You know, I mean, it was like, I mean you have worse death scenes on TV than like what we had, you know, it was, it was very calm and and peaceful and good. It was sad. Mm -hmm. My eight month old at the time who is now 19 can remember being in my arms and seeing his dad's bed, seeing his dad on his deathbed. Hmm. Wow. What a God given memory. That's his only memory of his father. But, but no one has memories like that. You know, it's like, and God gave that to him because he was the last one and he didn't get to have his dad, you know? And so that, that was so precious to me that God would even have given him that memory, you know, because he described it to me. I went, what? And he was like, mom, I don't even know if that's real or not. It's real. Because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, he, he put me in the, you know, he shared the memory. I thought, that is amazing, you know. So that was, that was, that was, uh, 
is it okay to say a wonderful experience in a <laughs> right yeah. yeah it's kind of an odd thing to say it was it was a heavenly experience i guess it's probably the best way to describe it Sorry about the bugs and humidity. That's Let me okay. either see if the table's clear, we can pick everything up and go in there, <laughs> okay. or I can bring a fan out and check it out. <laughs> One thing I'd like to ask you about is like after death, I, and I'm not real, I'm not very experienced with this, but sometimes I get the impression that um, the professionals come and whisk the body away, mm-hmm. and it just seems a little bit like. Like there should be something more after death, a time perhaps of grieving for Mm -hmm. a while before, you know, bam, everything just happens Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How was that uh, for you or do you have any thoughts about that? Well, to speak to the physical side, um, it was kind of funny sometimes I have a sense of humor that I'm not really sure where it comes from. It's, it's kind of sarcastic and, and everything. But, um, I remember when I tried to escape seeing him take his last breath, I was in the kitchen. I was talking to the funeral director and he was waiting, you know, waiting for everything to happen. And, uh, he was like, so is this all your family? Well, I mean, there was a lot of my family that was there, our children, of course, and then my parents and stuff. But we had we had best friends that were there. We had church members that were there singing in different things. And I, I don't know what got in my head. I, I think I really threw everybody off guard in, in joking because I'm not sure that people joke very often. <laughs> loved ones in the next room getting ready to take their last breath. Um. But I, I was like, yeah. I said, no, this isn't all our family. I said, it's like even in dying, he draws a crowd. <laughs> the funeral director just, and I laughed at myself. I thought that was funny. Um, but he, he <laughs> I was just like, huh, what do you do, you know? And so um, I know that as soon as he had passed, I didn't get to go in and, you know, I mean, once he was gone, you know, we would say goodbye and I got his wedding ring. And, um, and then they, they had us all leave the room because I guess the process of removing the body is a little bit, um, can be unnerving and alarming to members of the family. Um, and I, I do not have a constitution for much of anything and, um, medical. And so it was really unbelievable that, I mean, it was totally a God thing that my husband, him having colon cancer, he had to have a colonoscopy. So he had a bag, a colostomy bag, which I had to help him change. So I get weak in the knees over all sorts of grossness, except for kid puke and poop and stuff like that. You know, the regular mom stuff. This is like out of my field, you know, way out. And, and yet I was able to do all that, which is totally weird. Um, but anyway, so I was of no problem to walk out of that and not be around to witness any of that. Cause I'm just not in the, I just don't have the constitution for that stuff. And, and I think, I think that's out of respect for the family and, and compassion that, um, you know, that they do that. 
um, we were actually really cared for. Um, the hospice folks, we only had hospice for one day. Hmm. But the hospice nursing staff and hospice care center uh, checked in on us regularly hmm. for the first year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so that was really precious. Um, I will tell anyone that you, um, for anybody that is dealing with a terminal situation, um, you never say the word hospice. You say hospice and it's like you just said, you give up and you die and you lost, you know? Um, so anytime I'm talking to folks that are dealing with a illness situation and the word hospice is kind of floated around, I don't approach it. I don't mention it. Um, I also don't share my story too much when I'm dealing with someone else that's having a cancer situation and their loved ones fighting cancer because it's really hard. Like if you go and, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, my late husband had, you know, and then it's like, Oh great. Now I got this person whose husband died, you know, you know what I mean? And so you don't want to give anybody the inclination to just give up, you know? So I always, when I'm talking to people like that, I'm like, you pray, and you keep, you know, God can heal now, just like he did before. God is faithful. And uh, you just keep on hanging in there. You fight the fight. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think that hospice sometimes is looked at as this defeated place. And it's actually not. And the people that do hospice care are some of the most amazing people I think I've ever met in my life. You just imagine, like, I've been into another country going in to minister to people and share Jesus with people. And you're dealing with different culture, different family life, different constructs of relationships, you name it. A hospice worker is coming into a family at probably the worst time ever, all emotions are heightened. All, I mean, everything is just laid bare. And you're going to be dealing with anger and sadness. And then you've got pain and illness. I mean, all these things. And you're coming in and you're comforting. You're tending to someone that you don't know. And tending to a family you don't know with such care and gentleness and compassion. And I think that, that those people, man, they should get gold stars forever in my book. And, and so for us as a family, you know, we were so blessed to have them come in and really be right. I mean, the two hospice nurses that we had during the last hours were just so precious with me. Like they, they, and one of them was a friend and stayed, you know, in contact with me for a long time. But, um, yeah, I, I think physically that is a, a kind of a good thing that the body is tended to and kind of moved away, you know? Uh, but I think each person is different. People are different. Um, Joey specifically told me when he was well enough, you know, we were talking of facing, you know, his own mortality, you know, he said, Sarah, I don't want you going to my grave and all that stuff. He said, cause I'm not there, 
I'm not going to be there. You know, I'm like, fine with me. <laughs> um, you know, I knew what songs to play at his funeral, you know, those kind of things. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I don't go to his grave. I, he's buried in Jefferson Barracks, and to this day, I still have to go to a map and figure out where the heck he is. Um, some of my children go once a year, you know, and they're around there. They take pictures, you know, of them sitting by his tombstone and stuff like that. I don't, you know, and uh, it, that's just not me. But, you know, I think, I think for everybody, it's, I guess what I'm speaking to is it's just different. You know, everybody's different. And we, like, um, I remember, oh, visitations. I can't stand those things. I think visitations are not the, of the devil, but I think it's <laughs> I just hate it. It's like the most morbid thing ever. It's like you put the dead body in a room. And now, all of a sudden, all the people that you've ever known in all your life have a reunion and they're all standing around talking, chit-chatting, laughing, da 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 and there's the dead body at the end of the room. You know, and I always think that's just like, can we just like have a reunion over here? You know, because like, hello, there's a dead body in the room. You know, I just, it's just morbid to me. Although I've been to many funerals and I go through the whole thing, but I'm like quick to get out of there because it's just like, this is just not my kind of thing. But um, so I knew what we were facing going into that visitation, you know. And <laughs> I told my mom and dad, I was like, um, well, I asked them, I said, has anybody ever skipped out on visitation? And my mom was like, no. And I was like, because I don't want to go there. I was like, Joey's not there. It's just his body. I don't want to stand up by his body the whole night long. You know, there's my dead, no, dead husband right there. But he's really not there. And let's all mingle, you know. It was just like, I can't, I can't. And my mom was like, you have to, honey. And I was like, I don't think I have to. I really think I can skip. You know, I was really contemplating it. But what was really cool was I, I, I had to run to the store. I was getting potpourri. That used to be like a big deal back in the, you know, early 2000s and way before and uh, now you have all these little fancy schmancy spray things and stuff. I seriously do not know why I was wanting to get potpourri. Because it wasn't like I had like a whole house full of people. I, I just think I wanted to get out of the house. I don't, I don't know what it was. But I went to Walmart and was going to get the potpourri and got it. And I was heading home. And on the radio, uh, FFH's song, One of These Days, came on. That was one of Joey's favorite songs. And he would drum, because he, he was a drummer, and he would drum on the steering wheel. And all of a sudden, it came over me that he is right now walking on streets of gold. He is in the presence of God. You know? And all of a sudden, I got filled with joy. And then it, I realized God was imparting on me, this isn't about Joey, this isn't about you, which we all know that I have to learn that lesson. It's about the people, Sarah, that are coming there. This is for them. And when I realized that it was for them, I felt like I had a purpose. And I didn't have to stand by an empty, soulless body, you know. 
I, and so I came home, I was ready to rock. Let's do this visitation, you know. And it's amazing when you're going through difficulties, it's so good to have purpose, you know, purpose in the pain, purpose in the struggle. And when you latch on to that, it just, it's like it's a, the pain and the struggle becomes your fuel, you know, and, and motivator. And so when I got to visitation, um, I stood up there for a little bit. But after that, I started going out into the groups of people and just started talking to them, sitting down with them, letting them cry on my shoulder, you know, and all of these things. And it just, and it was surprising to some of the people because they're like, I'm sitting here crying and you're comforting me, you know, and all this. And it was like, it was just a really strange situation, but I felt so good because I felt like God had shown me that this was not what I thought it was, you know, because in our culture, visitations are wakes, however you call it, that's what they are. And you kind of have to do, it's the filing through, passing by the dead body, shaking hands, hugging the people that lost them. You know, it's the whole na-na-na-na-na kind of thing. And you just, it's just, ugh. And, um, but this to me, it was like, this is the way Joey would have wanted it. To know that his friends and his family and the people that he cared about would be ministered to, would be you know, and so it, it was really good. It, and so, I mean, I think that just that whole process, that journey, going through visitations and then burials, those are, oh, those are tough ones for people. Um, I know heading to the funeral, I almost broke on that one because the weight of everything, which now having gone through various things and different counseling and read books and stuff like that, I've learned that that the burial time is probably one of the hardest parts because that's the finality, you know, you're burying the body. And, um, but God is so gracious with me because he always puts humor into some of my hardest situations (laughs) Because, like, I thought I was going to pass out. Like, I, I really thought I was going to buckle under the pressure. But God was so good because the funeral was amazing. It was wonderful. Um, we went to the grave site. And, of course, we're in this big O uh, SUV limo. And all my boys are, like, excited because there's sodas and there's things like that. And Isaiah, my second oldest, who was nine at the time, nine, eight, eight, um, I was drinking sodas and everything like that. And we get to the Jefferson Barracks, and all of a sudden, this kid has got to pee. <laughs> and uh, it was like, oh, my gosh, he's got to pee. Where are we going to take him to pee? You're in Jefferson Barracks. Where's, where do you pee? You know? And so my dad was like, I'll take care of it. I'll take, I don't know where my dad took him. It could have been behind the limo. I don't know. But I mean, all of a sudden, it was like this, this somber thing became this, we got to find a place for this kid to pee, you know? So it was just this humor in there. And then uh, just the Jefferson Barracks is amazing. And the, you know, my husband was a vet. And so we had the military funeral and it was beautiful and so meaningful. Uh, It was good. It was good. Um, But I think 
I think the whole process, so from the time that that person takes their last breath to the time the funeral home people or whoever takes the body to visitations to, you know, funerals, this is a whirlwind of a time period. Like it, and it's usually in, only in a matter of days. And I, I was like, this probably doesn't, you know, matter much to most fellas, but, um, when Joey died, I was like a size 14 and only a matter of 48 hours, I was down to like a size 10. Hmm. You, but with all that, you, your grief, um, and, and the grieving process is so horrendous. The, the, the struggle and the weight of it you almost feel like you're going to die yourself. Like you could just stop living. And, um, and so, I mean, I share a lot of the positive things that are in that, but there was also a lot of hard and dark stuff. I mean, I can see where elderly people that have been married for 60, 70 years, why they don't last like a spouse dies. And then the other one dies just months later because you're so connected and that grief is so heavy, you almost feel like you're so close to death yourself. Like, it, it, it's just, it's huge. And so, um, but the, but the I, I guess it's just each person and each situation carries its own dynamic. And so for me, you know, that's how it was for me. Everybody's different. And, um, but I think where we're not different is our faith and our hope in Christ. And so that makes, that just fills in all the, the spots. Yeah. So I'd like to ask about ways to be helpful to someone who their loved one is dying. Um, so I've walked into um, hospital rooms before where someone was dying. And it almost is like, just sucks everything out of me, you know, <laughs> I like the void just, and you know, sometimes a lot of times I don't know if, um, so, you know, there are situations where the person dying might, you know, be a believer, but there's situations where they might not be too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering, um, it's the type of thing where there is a need and a person wants to be helpful um, but it's a little bit hard to know um, just what to do, what to mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. you know, what's the most helpful. you have any thoughts about that? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I ran into this uh, early on in our cancer fight that, golly, I could have a little help book for a lot of people to... Um, Being there is better than saying much. Saying less is better than saying a lot. Um, Your presence and your compassion and tenderness is so much more powerful than anything you could possibly say. Um, If there's any... um, Hallmark phrases or Christianese little sing-songy statements 
that you know, don't ever say them to someone that's struggling. Because they are the most awful thing you could ever say. I'll give you just a few, just a couple of examples. Number one thing not to say, God does not give you more than you can handle. That's a big fat lie. It's also really actually what it is. It's taking scripture out of context. Um, and it's, it's, it's implying that God only gives you, you, exactly what you need to deal with problem-wise and struggles and everything. In a rational thinking moment, and you and I are sitting here right now and not in any kind of major duress, okay? If I have what I perceive to be just what I can handle, am I going to be more wanting to reach out to God for help? Uh, leaning more on God? Trusting him for something? Probably not. Because it's within my scope of what I believe I can handle. Does God give me more than I can handle? Yes. Because life is all about more than what we can handle. And the whole point is, is that it is, that's where scripture comes in where he says, take my, take my yoke upon you for, you know, take, he wants us to give him our burden. Why would he want us to give him a burden that we have if it's something we can handle? It's just, it's nonsensical. But we, we want to say something like that to encourage a person that they can make it, that they're going to make it through. But all that it does is it just implies that that person is in such a crappy state of situation that, you know, all I could come up with was this nice little statement for you. And where that actually comes from is from Scripture referring to temptation. It's in regards to temptation that God does not give anything that's not common to man. And he always provides a way out. So I really don't like it when Christians try to use that. And oftentimes, it's people that are of a Christian background, not necessarily knowledgeable in God's word, because it's what they've always heard. And also, I find it something that person's like, I don't know what to say. So then they just say that because that's like the thing they always heard. It is the one thing that'll make your, when you're in this craziness as a person dealing with the struggle, it will make you want to throw up because you just can't take hearing that line again. Another one that's awful is, was that every cloud has a silver lining what the heck does that mean? <laughs> You're just like, whatever. So what, you know? Or, and this gets more into another one that is more of a doctrinal uh, misstatement. Um, we actually had, a, I had a gentleman that is now with, has been with Jesus for a long time. And I'm so excited to see him in his glorified state. Because in his earthly state, he was a jerk. 
Because what he told me when my husband had uh, was just beginning his cancer battle. Okay, so we were right on the beginning. Um, he said, now, Sarah, you better be praying, praying for God's healing on him. Because if you're not praying, God's not, and you need to believe, because if you don't believe, God's not going to heal him. Now, fortunately, I was knowledgeable enough in God to know, first off, God's not going to dump that one on me. Because I told Joey, I was so mad. I got off the phone with that guy. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, all right, bye. So I got off the phone with him, and <laughs> I told Joey, he's like, well, you better start making your funeral plans now. <laughs> I was like... What a roller coaster ride would that be? On the weeks that I feel great, you know, Joey would live. And on the weeks that I was doubting, Joey's going to die. And it was like, I told Joey, I was like, so this is retarded because, like, let's say God heals you. Who gets the credit? I do because I was believing in God and praying to God and all that jazz. And if you die, who gets the credit for that? I do because I didn't have the faith to make it happen. I was like, this is not about me, because we are, the ship's going down, buddy, if it's based on me, you know. I knew well enough that much that, you know, we cannot base this whole cancer journey on my faith, because that's scary. So I think, I think when we look at these kinds of, and these are just very, just three things, um, don't ever send a person a gift basket about grief and widowness and things like that when they're just beginning a cancer fight. Um, I got <laughs> I got a gift basket from some sweet ladies that had lost their husbands. Mine was still quite alive and breathing and just beginning a fight. I almost chucked that basket out the window. Um, it just, it stirred up so much frustration in me because it's like, I'm not giving up. What are you talking about? My husband's alive. I'm not, you know, you know, because you're in that fight mode. And so that's why I was saying earlier, I, I just don't, I don't go there. I don't even say, oh, my husband had that, my late husband, you know, I don't even go there. Um, but I think it's, we're just so unsure of what to say or do. And I've had more people say this and I agree. And I've, I personally have, been ministered the people that just showed up and hugged me there was a couple that came and were with my husband in the last hours at the hospital and she just sat there dabbing his mouth with little sponges of water not a word that's all she did um you know I had people after my husband died I had people come in and totally remodel the inside of my home, all these churches came in, and which actually introduced me eventually to my husband that was being brought in, and that's how God got my kinsman redeemer in on the whole bag, was starting through that, but people just showing up, people just um, not really saying a whole lot, just, just being there. People letting me cry and fuss, and and I think that just made the difference, you know, and just encouraging me that God's not leaving me, God's there, you know, and and that to me is what speaks in those situations. And if you don't know what to say, 
don't say anything. Just don't. Being is huge because who's going to go into a hospital room? Not a whole lot of people. You know, who's going to sit by the bedside of a person that's dying that's the loved one of the person that you know, you know, so you don't necessarily know that person, but you know this person. I mean, who's willing to do that? And, and your presence is so much more. People don't realize presence is, is very powerful and oftentimes much more powerful than any words someone could say. Hmm. You know, the whole matter of prayer is something that is just kind of strange because it's, like like Jesus said, God already knows our needs even before mm-hmm. we ask Him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it's sometimes a little bit hard to make sense of. Like, well, uh, then why why do we ask? You know, mm-hmm. um, or is it a matter of how many people we can get to pray, and then that you know forces God to do? You know, mm-hmm. so it's um, it's. Um, have you any thoughts about? prayer after having gone through this um, or just your own experience since then yeah. on prayer about um, the spiritual prayer is probably one of my biggest revelations in my life of recognizing um, I can be married to my husband but if I don't ever talk to my husband I'm never going to really know what his thoughts are, you know, or we're really not going to have that great of a relationship. I mean, we could stay married the whole time. Um, Prayer is a conversation. And the more that we get into God's word and get to know his character and know how much he wants to engage in that. God is very chatty. That's why we got the Bible. Like, I mean, We've got so much resource right there alone. And, but it, he wants to commune with us on a deeper level, Holy Spirit to our spirit, you know, just really communing with us. If we're not engaging in prayer, because I think people equate prayer to just talking. Prayer is also listening and stillness. Prayer is also not necessarily going in and re- making requests, of God. Prayer is also in being in agreement with God. It's also going into battle. Prayer is an offensive weapon. A lot of people forget about that. We use prayer as a defensive mechanism. Oh my gosh, my husband has cancer. And so now I'm going to be praying for healing and praying. Pray. This, it's like a reactive, mm-hmm. but, but actually prayer, praying is such a uh, an offensive, offensive measure. It's also an activity. It is part, a key point to a relationship with Christ. And when you're not engaging in that conversation with Him, then you're missing so much. And it become it's it's not so much well the what you get out of it. And that's what I'm learning more about prayer. Prayer is not A plus B equals C. Prayer is A plus B and then whatever God decides it to be, you know, or surprise, you know, you don't always know things aren't because we're so limited in our view. We can't, 
I could not see past a husband dying from cancer. I couldn't see past grief to know what the next 19 years were going to present for me. None of us can. We can't even see what the next hour looks like. We can predict, we can assume, but we have absolutely no clue. And so prayer is such a way of interaction with God, um, just talking with him, listening to him, being still in his presence, letting him just want his peace just wash over us. Sometimes it is really coming to him like, okay, like I know, you know, the whole story. I don't, but this is like totally working up my anxiety, this situation, and I'm giving it to you. And I know that you are in absolute control. I mean, this last week I had to keep telling myself, cause I, I just recently was, um, God delivered me of and healed me of being a control freak and a food addict, you know, and I didn't realize that most of my life I've been those things until recently. And we had some real heavy traumatic things happen in our family that just blew all my control issues. I mean, just like exposed them for all to see, including myself. But, you know, this last week, I, cause now that I know these things and I have a counselor and I'm kind of walking through some of this stuff, I'm having to reprogram myself how to behave in situations that I can't control or manipulate. So I was in one of those situations and I had to keep going to God and just kind of talk to God. And I'm just going, okay, God, I know I'm not going to lose this person. I'm not going to lose this person for my life. That's not rational. I can tell them what I'm needing to tell them and it's okay. I'm not going to lose them. They've asked me this question and I can answer this question and I'm not going to lose them. And I had to keep kind of going back to God on it. Okay, God, you know, I know you're, you're in control. You're in control. I got it. I got it. But prayer for me is not so much a, um, like I need to sit down and have prayer. It's more now of like an ongoing conversation, sometimes more intense than others. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's, I love going into spiritual battle in prayer, which is, that is phenomenal when you start going for the enemy, which a lot, I, I think a long time growing up in the faith, I didn't realize how much of a power that was um, in really engaging the enemy and hitting him where he hurts. And because the power of prayer is so huge and he knows it. And that's why oftentimes he wants to stifle us from being able to talk to our Heavenly Father. It isolates us. We cut ourselves off. Um, but But prayer is so wide open. Like it, it's just, um, it's just not, it's just not so do this, do this, do this, do this. It, it, it's so good. It's so vital. I think as a believer, um, and I'm becoming more and more for sure of that because the more that I read scripture, the more that I'm, um, studying these guys who walked with him, who were in God's presence, who, you know, we're moved by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, it just, it, it just propels me more into prayer. Prayer is the conversation. It is our conversation with God. And so it isn't, it isn't, a, um, 
what do you call it, a solution. Like, it's not your little formula to give you the solution that you want. Trust me, I've had God say no to me so many times. I can't even count. But it's all been for good. And it's been right. And there's been so many times that he has said yes. Like even talking with you, I've recognized two times, even in a process where a lot of no's were happening. But I saw where there were some few yeses in there, you know, that were good. So, yeah. I think earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that we're all headed to death and we don't know how how long that is. It could be tomorrow. It could be a mm-hmm. year from now or whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts about preparing for death? I know there's kind of like the practical things as far as like people talk about a will and you, you mentioned letters and that type of thing. So I guess anything along those lines or just spiritually, mm-hmm. um, though I'm, I imagine death isn't something you totally prepare for spiritually, but rather mm-hmm. God carries you when you reach that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But, um, since we're all headed in that direction and our loved ones as well. Do you have any thoughts about that? Absolutely. Um, from a practical side, uh, we, my late husband thought he had an insurance policy through his work that was $100,000. What he did not know, nor I, was that it was just a percentage based on how long he had been working there. So it amounted to about $1,700 and something dollars. Um, Fortunately, the minivan that we were financing, we had gotten credit life on it. So that was a praise. Um, But so I faced some major things when things were over. Um, And a lot of people... You know, we, especially young people, and I've had to do this with my children that have headed into adult years and now are married and have children. Um, I'm like, you better get that life. We're getting you life insurance. And matter of fact, my husband and I, we, we, when our kids got married, um, we have life insurance policies on both husband and wife, you know, because they're starting out and they're not thinking about those things. And at the time, I was working for an insurance company, and um, I was like, we're getting the life policies in place. When my, when my husband came into our life, he was brand new. He was getting ready to marry us. I was like, let me see your life insurance policy. And he, lo- he said, well, here. You know, he'd worked at his company for 20-some-odd years. So, I mean, it was like, okay. So he, he handed over, and I looked at it and said, it's not enough. You better go fix it. You know, because I had already faced what it was to not have things in place and the stress that that um, just becomes. Now, God came through for my family and we were very well taken care of, but, you know, not everybody fares the same. And so I thought, well, you know how God says you to be good stewards with the talents that he gives you, you know, and I feel like every lesson learned, you know, kind of gives you a projection into the next problem that is to come. Like you, you've got, you gained a little wisdom there. So you need to utilize that wisdom for the next problem that comes. So, um, you know, knowing that my children one day were going to have families, they were going to have children, you know, these kinds of things, and they weren't going to be thinking about getting sick or dying. 
you know, not when they're all running around in diapers and they're trying to keep bills paid and stuff. So, you know, so the practical side would be making sure that you have a life insurance policy. Also, the will or trust is really good. Um, so like all these practical things, I think are really, really important. Um, if you're financing a car, get credit life on the car, you know, just any little thing that you can do to kind of ease the, the load on your family members. I mean, this is kind of funny, but, um, you know, I always tell my husband now, um, your parents can't die anytime soon. We've got to clear their house first because I don't want to have to go through everything. But I, it has burdened me because I'm like, we have got to purge our house because I do not want my kids having to go through every bit of this junk that we have, you know. And um, But it's funny that I think like that. It, when you go through death of a spouse or you go through experiencing death and having to handle estates or anything like that, you, you have that stuff in your head. Like, it, it's just there. And it's terrible for conversation material. But nonetheless, you're just, that's on your brain. But, um, but then from another part, um, as a parent, leaving behind messages for your children, whichever way you do it best, whether it is letters or record yourself or, you know, I mean, we have such technology these days that you could do some really neat things. Um, being mindful of the people that, you know, you're leaving behind and what you would like them to have of you to remember you by. And of course, you know, that changes over years and different things. And like I said, I, I used to leave those kind of letters, you know, when I would go out of the country, I would slip them in our folder that has our, um, trust in it. And I'm probably up to like, I don't know, five or six letters. So it's like the kids are probably going, Oh my gosh, like mom really thought she was going to die. <laughs> you know, But you never know. I mean, it's like, you just don't know. And, I felt bad for some of my younger children who didn't really get to know their dad. And all they had was we had his voice on a re, uh, answering machine. And I still have that answering machine. You know, because uh, one of the first things you begin to forget is their voice, you know. And I have pictures and I have things like that, but they just don't remember him. And so... Um, we try to talk about different things about their dad. I am not fluffy, you know, and, and, you know, all like, um, dad was perfect kind, you know, I do point out some things that bugged me about Joey, you know, or bring up different things and, you know, try to keep him as real and normal, you know, as I can, but also share about the cool things that he did. And, and, and there'll be times I'll see my kids doing something and I'll say, oh, that was your dad. That was your dad. You just did your dad thing. And um, so, you know, stuff like that. That's just, but the more that you can uh, prepare your family for understanding that death is going to happen. <laughs> I have, I have an eight-year-old who is very worrisome. And... Uh, it's really hard when a kid nowadays, since my husband passed, all my children, when they would ask me questions such as, well, I'm afraid that 
you might get in the car and have an accident and die. It's a very, I mean, that's a realistic fear. I can't do the parent thing and say, oh, honey, nothing's going to happen to mommy. I can't do that anymore. I can't, I can't lie to them because that sets them up to be very ticked off with God, you know, and it, and me for, you know, not being honest, but it, I tell them, well, honey, I don't think anything's going to happen, but, but if anything were to happen to mommy, God will see you through. And I have Jesus in me, so I will be with Jesus, and you and I are going to see each other again. So it's just a matter of time, just a little bit of time, and then we're going to be together. So it's letting them know that bad things can happen. So preparing our kids for uh, death in that kind of way of understanding that everything, everyone dies. They do. And it's sad. But God gets us through. I, I just, ever since that day when Joey was dying and a child asked me, is daddy going to die? That was when I had to change my whole narrative in perspective on answering those kinds of questions and just being honest and just saying, I don't, I don't know, but I know that God will get us through, you know? So Preparing them as best you can, leaving behind whatever you can that's little mementos, little special things, and even so, leaving things with them, giving some things of yours to them, not necessarily going, hey, I'm going to die someday, here's but you're giving them some of your stuff that they will always have it anyway, and not even realize that, you know, mom's thinking about dying, so she's giving me this stuff, (laughs) you know. It also saves a lot of time for later when you're having to make your will and you're trying to divide things up and decide who gets what. You've already given it to them and you're good. Um, but, but the practical side, I would say, for especially younger families, uh, younger couples, you got to get the life insurance policies in place. And when you're younger, it's cheaper and you don't have a lot of things to consider, like your health stuff. or And, and it's more expensive the older you are because, of course, you're more prone to have stuff. So, you know, get it, get it early. And uh, if you're working for a company and they provide it, make sure you understand what the numbers are. So, Well, before kind of wrapping up, um, just I guess – you know, you've walked with God for like, um, well, you mentioned a couple of times, like almost a half century. So. Yeah, we're going on um, 43 years. Okay, 43 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, not my age. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I wish it. No, I don't wish I was 43. <laughs> so, I guess just like, um, any thoughts about growing in the knowledge of God, like what you've found out or what you've learned? What type of person is God? Um, how has that changed over the years? Um, like, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of feeling that connection with God. You know, mm-hmm, you mentioned mm-hmm, prayer, mm-hmm. but in knowing just who God is, and um, seeing him more clearly, mm-hmm. what what's come about from from that? Well, it used to be that 
God was connected within my emotions and the feels all up in the feels, you know, Mm -hmm. and my eyes were on human beings and their walk and their talk and their sermons and their teachings and same things like that. And, and some of it was really good mentorship and, um, you know, I go all the way back to vacation Bible school when I was little and we would have to memorize scripture verses and like the more you memorize, the more in depth you memorize, like the bigger the prize, you know, the bigger you know, the ribbon you would get. And I think what changed me probably more so consistently and if more effectively was reading God's word, retaining it, memorizing it. Um, there was one time in my early adult life, early marriage years with Joey, that we were facing a call to ministry. Joey was ready to jump in like a wild man. And I was supportive, except for the part of like quitting the job and like going free. And we had like three kids and all of a sudden I was seeing all the bills and everything and I was like panicking. And uh, through process of talking to another mentor, a woman that's been like a spiritual influence through my life, um, she really encouraged me and God encouraged me then to memorize Matthew six nineteen through 34. And golly, I can't begin to tell you how many times those verses have come right back up to my mind, you know, in any kind of situation where I felt like our provisions were in question, our lives were, you know, uh, you know, what were we going to do, you know, and all this deal. Um, Scripture is imperative. The Word of God, you're not going to get to know Him if you don't get into the Word of God. You can get to know all about him through church, preachers, podcasts, um, reading books, but you're not going to get him full on, like fully Godness. And so it it has been the word of God that has, and the um, object lessons that he has brought me through and applied scripture to that have molded me. Um, and so as my life shifted from immaturity, it's now not so focused on the men and women that speak his words or whatever, or the books that I read or the podcasts that I listen to that are very good and, and encouraging. Those are helpful reminders to me to, Hey, get back over there in the word, you know, but God's word stands alone, stands alone. And when you engage in the conversation and the time spent with him in his word, it's a powerhouse. I mean, you're getting full on God and all the other stuff is bonus, but that's the main crux. There was a few years ago that I was trying to start a ministry and I was trying to write Bible study stuff and different things like that. And uh, God just really got on my case. And he was like, you're, you're working on with crust and crumbs. What do you think you're going to produce out of that? And I'm sitting going, crust and crumbs? What do you mean? Well, you're only taking like snippets of my word. 
like, you know how like on the U version Bible, you get like your daily verse. It was like, I'm trying to like survive a whole day spiritually on one verse. That's like spiritual malnutrition. And so God was like, girl, you think you're going to build a ministry on crusting crumbs? <laughs> like, what do you think you're doing? Like, I can't, I'm not all in that, you know? And it was when I said, okay, fine, I'm going in, I'm diving deep, and you just start talking to me, and I'll, I'm listening. And man, did he open up. And the words, I was just writing scripture verses down, and like the word of God was just jumping out at me. And it was like, yeah. And so there's still days, and I'm like, you, boy, my intake of scripture is very low. Like, I need to, I need to you know, bump it up. <laughs> I'm malnourished, you know, and uh, we do, we starve ourselves as Christians. We starve ourselves on, uh, we think that Sunday morning preaching and podcasts and books and someone else saying God's word to us will do the trick and it doesn't do it. It just doesn't. It's, it's like just us eating candy all the time. You know, we need the meat of the word. We need the veggies. We need the whole kit and caboodle. And, and that's what I think now as a heading into the second half of a century, you know, in the next year I turn 50 and, you know, I, um, I'm going to college right now, which is really funny. Um, and I'm learning more about God and it's like, now I know life is so precious and I don't want to waste it. And so it's like, you're only going to find the tidbits and the useful things that you need in the word of God, especially now. Now we're in a day where everything is being turned around and twisted and we've got to know his truth. And so that's where I would say that has, that would be how I've transitioned in, um, and, and not every, you know, we're all in different spots, but I, w- I would say if I were to leave tomorrow to be with Jesus, the one thing I would tell my children and anybody else is you better get God's word in you every, every bit, all the time. Don't lose it, you know, and because if you got God's word going in you and you're praying, you're in the full relational aspect of, with God and it's just nothing better. Well, thanks, Sarah. You've been a wonderful guest, and this will be uh, an episode I'll look back on, listen to again, and just uh, remind myself of our conversation. Yeah. Is there anything like? Do you blog, or is there any way thing you want to give to people yeah, for following um, you? Well, it's funny. Um, I have a Facebook page called Restoration Project Woman. Um, I've had a ministry um, going restoration restoration project um, for several uh, about three years now. There's not a lot of activity on our Facebook page right now, but you can still get on there and um, look at stuff. We've like I said, we've had um, some real traumatic stuff happen in our family. We had two suicide attempts and some uh, one of our children has gone is going through a divorce. And so I had to really turn inwardly into my family and kind of minister to my family. And then uh, I have a few ladies that I kind of mentor and have close in to me that 
I've been teaching. Um, but we want to be back up and fully running. We were doing live programs and stuff where uh, I teach. And, um, but the whole goal of Restoration Project Woman is to encourage women to reach to Jesus and be restored, you know, and see the kind of potential that God has for them and wherever they're at. And it's, it's been a wonderful journey with that. I've encountered some amazing women who have greater stories than mine, you know, and, and are walking through some stuff. And so, um, we're, we're crazy people. I mean, we're crazy bunch, but Jesus loving nonetheless. But I try to, which they were just talking to me this week. Are we ready to go back online? You know, and it's like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, but you know, we, I just want to, I kind of, I feel like I'm kind of like the, probably like what you are with being a host. I, I feel like I'm kind of like the, the, um, hostess of the party and Jesus is the main guest. And I'm like, Hey, come on and come hang out with Jesus. And then I kind of stand back <laughs> like here, y'all, y'all chit chat, you know, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, they can go to Facebook. Uh, it's restoration project woman. It is for women only <laughs> just saying, uh, although I've had a few guys kind of come aboard on there, but, um, but yeah, so that's, okay. that's where it is right now. Or they can find me on Facebook and, you know, but I eventually we wanted to have a website going where we had different blogs going, video uh, on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. We're just not fully operational yet. So God's timing. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you.